Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 22. And we'll be looking at verses 1 to 14. This, as maybe your Bible says, is this section is the King's Invitation. Now, no, we will not be talking about glass slippers and magic pumpkin carriages and princesses, no, but a King's Invitation nonetheless. It's a well-known passage, and, but it's a very difficult passage, and it's, it's been much harder on me than I expected when going through it. Um, the message will be difficult for some to hear, um, but I pray and I feel that God is going to do a great work here this morning. God is with us. We are in his house. We must expect great things. So as I go through this passage, I have five points that I want to draw out. Um, not necessarily verse by verse, but five points that are very important that I want to draw your attention to. And this is a gospel message. A message for the lost soul. I'll be bidding with you throughout every point if you are not saved, that you would come to Christ today. But also, if you are in Christ, it is a cause for much rejoicing for what has been done through Jesus on the cross for you, that He has chosen you and saved you. Let, let us rejoice in our salvation and be greatly encouraged. So let's read Matthew chapter 22. And again, Jesus spoke to him in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can come because of your son Jesus, that we can come and worship you, that we can hear your word and sing unto you, O God. We're such a good, loving, gracious Father. God, we are weak sinners. 
We need You, God. We need Your Holy Spirit to come. And I pray that it would come and that You would move upon us, Your people, today. That You would do a great work here, O God. I pray that, God, You would help me to speak, for I am weak and I stumble over my words and I'm new at preaching. God, please help me. Please fill me with Your Holy Spirit. That it would, Your Word would be clear. That You would move. And God, You are the One who formed the mountains. You calm the raging sea with Your voice, and yet You come down to our level and You speak to us in a still, small voice. You step down from Your... You step down to us on our human level and You teach us with a parable. So let us gladly sit at Your feet as Mary did to learn from You. And may we not let our minds be busy this morning and think as Martha did of all the other things that need to be done today. God, bring our minds in right now to hear Your Word. Open our ears to hear and understand. And if there's someone here who does not know You, that they would today, that they would understand the gospel that saves them and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. So, number one, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So, what is Jesus telling us here? Well, first, it's about a great king, a king who wants to honor his son, the crown prince who is taking himself a bride. The king is celebrating with his son by putting on this grand feast. Notice this is not just a regular feast, but a royal wedding feast. Substantial food enough, the best of the best, laughter, rejoicing, rich, free, joyful, all expenses paid by the king. The best choice of meat, the oxen and the fattened calf are ready. This is the king's meat, taken from the best of the king's herds, Grown in the best of pastures, the finest food in the land. Note this, it's not taken from the people. All of the finest things are taken from the king's provisions. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had the privilege of growing some of our own meat. And the farmers here know this, you spend so long growing an animal, and you can't wait until the day where you can harvest it and enjoy that tasty meat. So I can't imagine what it would be like to invite, be invited by the king, the finest meat in the land. Or maybe this, maybe you've had the privilege of being invited to a wedding, or maybe a restaurant, a five-star restaurant with a five-course meal, and it's all been paid for. Maybe it's just me, I don't know if the other men here get excited about that, free food, but it does me. So this is, this is quite the invitation to be invited to the king's palace. But notice the move here. We move from earth to heaven. This is an earthly story that explains a deep spiritual truth, which is at the root and purpose of each parable that, that Jesus teaches, designed for those with the ears to hear. So God the Father, the King of Kings, wants to glorify and honor His Son Jesus. John 5.23 says, All men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. In Revelation 19, 7-9. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. God is calling you to come, bidding you to come, to come through Him, trusting in His Son Jesus, to reign for eternity forever with the Lord. We can come to this feast because of the love shown through Jesus. A feast made for love and reconciliation. A chance of a lifetime to be made right with God. This is God's goodwill toward men. And in this parable, He invites us to union with Himself. He restores us to the family of God. He clothes us in His righteousness. We have an eternal home. This is the good news. And the privileges of this invitation, of coming, are rich for those who accept it. Forgiveness of sin, no matter what you have done. Favor with God. Peace of conscience. conscience, Access to God. Comfort in the Spirit. Hope of eternal life. God offers. He bids you to come. To never be hungry or thirsty again. But, now this feast is most expensive. The price was great, but it was paid for in full. The banquet was costly to the host, but it was free to the guests. You see, God became flesh. Jesus, the sinless one, He died. He covers your sin so that now your sin, your debt is paid for. God does not see your sin anymore. Only Jesus in His righteousness. Come as you are. It has been prepared for you. It's paid for. The clothes have been provided for you just as you are. But in saying that, remember all has been provided. Come not in your own clothes. You can't buy a place at the table with your own money. You can't merit merit it any other way. You can't come to church for 20 years and merit it. The only way is through the King's invitation. Through Jesus. God calls you to come to Jesus. So in this first point, the parable is the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who is inviting the people to come to the feast for his son. God is calling you to Jesus. This is indeed a gospel feast. A feast for souls. God giving Himself to us the people to be El Shaddai. A God that is enough. Jesus paid the price for you that you can be free of sin and guilt, that you can be eternally in heaven with God. Is this enough for you? Will you come? Will you put your trust in Jesus and surrender your life to His will? The next two points are found in verses 3-10. to I'll Just pick out the verses. I won't read the whole thing. Verse 3, He sent His servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Verse 4, again, He sent other servants. Verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Verse 10, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So number two, the invitations are wide and they reach all. No room for excuses not to come. So the call goes out. The time has come. The feast is ready. In those days, 
an invitation would go ahead of time for people to have it on their minds, to give them time to prepare and get ready. Uh, when the feast was ready, the final call would go out for all the people to come. And notice verse 3. It says, the invitation went out to call those who were invited to come. You see, the call goes out to those who were already invited. And note who he's talking about here first. The Jews. The first invitation goes out to the Jews again and again. But they wouldn't come. They are God's chosen people. If anyone was ready, it should be them. They should know best. They should be more ready than anyone else. But they rejected the call. The time those who were invited were not worthy, verse 8 it says. The time it goes out to all. This time it goes out to all. The Gentiles. So the call first goes out to the Jews. Now the invitation has gone out to all. Acts 28, 28. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Romans 11, 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, their trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Go out into the roads and invite as many as can be found. The rich, the poor, the high, the low, the slave, the free, the young, the old, Greek, Gentile, all are welcome. John 3.16, whosoever will. John 11.52, Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. He gathers all as one. John 10.16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So there's others out there, and God is gathering them all into one family. So the king is gathering all in for the feast. Come enjoy his privileges. The gospel places an open door for all mankind. No one is is excluded from the range of its offers. No one will be able to say, I didn't know. It's God's fault. Through these calls again and again, we see God is gracious and merciful. Not just to the Jews, but to everyone. The call goes out again and again. How many times have you heard His call? How many times have you felt the pull of God upon you? How many times have you been convicted to come? And how many times have you turned away? How many times have you made excuses or put aside His call? God is patient. He is gracious, calling again and again, come to Him. He is set on the happiness of your soul. He provides a way for you to come, a seat at His table free of charge. Even amidst our weakness, our forgetfulness, even if we are slack in our response, the King continues to bid. Continues to send out servants to call. God's forbearance is great. His goodness greater than all even after a constant rejection or ignorance of His call. So, as I said, number two, the invitations are wide and reach all 
without excuse. All is now ready. The food is served. Come to the feast. The picture is clear here. Look deep at what God has done for you. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. The Father is ready to love and receive. The Son, Jesus, is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and renew. Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning sinner. Grace is ready to assist you. The Bible is ready to instruct you. Heaven is ready to be your everlasting home. Only one thing is needful. You, the sinner, must be ready and willing to come. The message is clear. The invitations are many. You have been invited. Are you coming to the feast? Jesus died. He paid for your sin. The debt is covered. Your ticket is purchased. You can be made right with God and have everlasting life. But you must come. We sinners are responsible. You are responsible to respond to the call of God. For the children here today, or maybe if you're an adult here like me and you need things explained as for a child, what does it mean to come? Well, picture a young boy walking alongside the river with his grandfather. He gets a bit too close and slips, splash into the water. He struggles to the surface. He tried to swim, but the water swept him away. The water's freezing cold. His clothes are wet and heavy. He feels himself sinking, and his grandpa comes into the water. He's a strong man and has his feet firmly planted. His long, strong arm reaches out to the boy, and grandpa called out, Here, grab my hand. I'll pull you in. Just trust me. What should the boy do? If he believed and trusted his grandpa, all he had to do was trust by grabbing his hand. If he didn't believe his grandpa, he may drown. He may struggle on his own. He may try to do it his own way, but he cannot do it on his own. To come to Christ means to put all your trust, all your life into His hands. Reach out to Christ. There is no other way. There's only one way to be saved. Trust your soul to Christ and He will save it. Trust that He died in your place and by believing in Jesus, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, look unto Me and be saved all the ends of the world. So my next point in verses 3-10 to 10, again is Number three, notice the rejection of many of the ones who were invited. Verse five, they paid no attention to it. Or they, in other translation, they made light of it. No care at all for their souls. This may be, mo- this may be the most damning sin in all the world, to make light of the gospel. To not care for what has been done for you through Christ. Why? Well, they have, or may I say, you have more things that you care about than coming to the feast. Naturally, we don't desire or want anything to do with God. Without God's power, we'll we'll never accept the invitation. Why would you want to go to a banquet of someone you hate, even if it's paid for? Even if it's the finest food in the land? Well, some may try to sneak in for the food, but we know and we'll see what happens to them later. Worldly pursuits, the busyness of life, our businesses, employments, 
prophets may distract many. Yes, we do need to be diligent in our work that God has for us, but we need to be careful that it doesn't get our hearts, that it doesn't come between us and God. Notice here man's excuses. And we'll turn over to Luke chapter 14, and Jesus talks about three of these excuses in this parallel passage in, Matt, or in, in Luke. Luke chapter 14, 16 to 23. But he said to them, to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said, Go to the servant. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So three excuses here to notice. First one, I bought a piece of land and I need to go see it. Well, who would buy a piece of land they have never seen before? Well, maybe today online, but that's different. Don't accuse me. Even if you didn't see it, the land would still be there the next day. You've got lots of time. Number two, I bought a team of oxen. I need to test them. Well, didn't you test them before buying? If you didn't test them yet, you'll have time after the feast. And number three, well, I have a wife and I need to be with her. Well, didn't you know the feast was coming and you decided to get married now? Like, wouldn't you want, he's smart, wouldn't you want to bring her with you? In our passage in Matthew in verse 5, they paid no attention and went off to his farm and his business. The point here is this. There was no desire and love for the king. All these excuses are really bad. Actually rude and ignorant. The king was not important to them. It would make some sense, maybe if it was a cruel king, but not a loving king that gave himself up for the people. Are you any different? So many hear the gospel invitation and care nothing for it. Sunday after Sunday, or maybe a family member, a friend, a random person has, has told you about Jesus, and you keep making excuses. How many know this is true? You, you, you're having a conversation with someone, you start to talk about Jesus, and suddenly, oh, I've got to go. Or something comes up. Are there any here today who have seen God's goodness, who sees God, God's hand in creation, his hand in their life? Is there someone here today who hears God call you? You feel His pull, but 
you continue to reject. You continue to make excuses. You find much fulfillment in your Netflix shows or your money or your hobbies, your business, your farm or land, that you drowned out the voice of God. They take you away from what matters. Oh, would you search your heart today? Is your soul at rest in what Jesus has done for you on the cross? You may say, oh, well, I'll come to Jesus someday. But when it comes down to it, you don't. You won't. You never can seek first the kingdom of heaven while your gaze is on the world. And in verse 5 and 6, they paid no attention, went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. They seized, treated shamefully, and killed them. Here we see in this context, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, he's talking with them and, and hammering them for their pride and blindness. And in fact, he's doing, doing it all the way in chapter 21 too. They keep, they keep saying, well, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Well, yes, he was. The messengers bringing the good news keep coming. We see the prophets. We see John the Baptist. We see Jesus himself. The Pharisees reject them all. They kill them. Throughout history and even today, the apostles, many followers of Jesus, are, are constantly rejected, martyred, killed for bringing the good news. Verse 7, The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king's, notice the king's judgment on those who reject and kill the messengers. You cannot expect an insult like this against the king to go unpunished. Yes, God is gracious and He is very patient, but the day of pain for the crime will come. Looking back, it was only a few generations after this conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees that God's judgment did come. Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans. So may we all be warned that the penalty is great for rejecting the king's invitation. So here in this third point, we see that many who were invited rejected the invitation. My next question to you is, are you rejecting the king's invitation? God is calling you to put your trust in nothing else, in no one else but Jesus. Find your rest in Him. The kingdom of heaven is ready. There is forgiveness, peace with God, hope, everlasting life. It's all yours if you call out to God to save you today. In verse 9 and 10, you see the invitation, the offer of the gospel has gone out to all indiscriminately. Let all come. Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. Verse 10. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. As praise God, it will be filled no matter what. Number four. For those who don't have on the wedding garment, they are exposed and condemned. The wedding hall is ready. The people have come. The seats are filled. What happens next? Verse 11. The king enters. And what does he find? 
a man with no garment on. Well, we could say he was hurried in at the last minute quickly from the street corners. No time to find the proper attire. Chances are he probably couldn't afford it. At least he came, right? No. All has been provided for. The king has given out the garments. No excuses. What could be worse? Not accepting the invitation on the street corners? Or rejecting the king's provision in the king's house directly in front of him? Rejecting the king's clothes is a much greater insult. And notice something interesting here. This man was never found out until what? The king came in. Verse 12, he says, Friend, notice still the compassion and the dis- disappointment in the king. Example, I think of when, I'm, when we're training our children. And there's times where you've told your child to do something and standing right in front of him, he looks at you in the eye and says, No. And you're there, say, son, do you realize what is going to happen? What daddy has to do if you do not obey? Please choose the right thing. But still, the child says, no. How did you come in with no wedding garment? And he was speechless. A frightful, startling question to this man, no doubt. He was enjoying the feast, lost in his own pride, thinking he was okay with what he did. He got in his own clothes, his own righteousness. Again, let's move from the earthly story to the heavenly meaning. The Lord knows who are His. When the King of Kings comes in, the light grows stronger. Hidden things are revealed. For all things are naked and open unto the Lord. He knows the heart of man. And when the king comes in, all things are known. The Lord knows who are his. You may, be, you may deceive man one way or the other. You may trick your parents. You may trick the leadership in your church. But you will not trick God. The Bible says, Who may abide in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. This man represents those in the church who profess faith in the gospel, who may live an outward correct life, who would even say, we would even say he's a Christian. He has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But there will be no deception on the last day. It will be worth nothing to the hypocrite that he has been religious or that he had a good reputation among Christians. All who have not trusted in Christ alone will be exposed and condemned before God. The one without the wedding garment was speechless, naked, ashamed, and thrown into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell. I think the next logical question would be, well, what is this wedding garment? Got to make sure we have it, right? Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For He has clothed me in the garments of salvation. And He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. One more, Philippians 3.8 and 9 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Now notice, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The wedding garment is the righteousness of Jesus. Which means, at the cross, Jesus, the perfect sinless one, took your sin. He died for you, paying your debt. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, you have been covered in Christ. So now, for those who believe, who who put the king's garment on, God, the, the king, does not see your old filthy rags, your sin, anymore, but now sees Jesus, his perfect obedience to God. Your rags, your sin, put on Jesus, and Jesus' royal garments, his righteousness, placed on you. A divine transaction. The king's garment is Jesus' righteousness. So to close this fourth point, we see that those without the proper garment are exposed and condemned. We see that the only way to be saved is by having the proper clothes that God graciously provides. Jesus' righteousness. So do you have on the proper clothes? The day is coming when the King will enter. You will stand before the Lord. Matthew 25 makes it very clear, 31-32. to When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Jesus died bearing your sins on the cross. He took your place. Will you trust Him today? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you turn from your sin and follow Jesus today? If you have, are you walking and growing in holiness? Growing in godly character? Do you live like a Christian proving your faith? Showing that you have on the garment of Jesus' righteousness? Spurgeon says this, You must be born again if you have not come into a living contact with a living Savior by the work of the Holy Spirit. You may be in the church but you are not in Christ and have not on the wedding garment. So my last point is this, in verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. Here we ultimately end with the sovereignty of God. There are two sides to the coin. As we see in this parable, many were called, in fact, The call to come, the invitation ended up going out to everyone. God is good and merciful and not willing that any should perish. So the first side, this call to everyone in theology is referred to as a general or external call. This is an outward call for all to hear, for all to come, for all who hear the gospel and accept the invitation. The gospel message is preached. The gospel message is heard. 
It's a call to repent, to turn from your sin and have faith in Jesus. This is where John 3.16 again shines. Whosoever will believe. Second side, this call is the irresistible call or the effectual call. This is ultimately effective. Those who respond to the call, those who come and are faithful to the call, are the ones that God has chosen. This is a supernatural work of God that regenerates, that gives new life, a new heart, a new desire to follow Jesus and to be obedient to God. This is the one, if you remember in the parable of the sower, that the seed that falls on the good soil, it will grow and produce fruit. Unlike those to whom the call went out, but fell on the path or the rocky ground or the thorns, they may come at first, but are soon choked out and die. You see, man cannot believe. Man cannot turn from sin nor choose to follow God on their own. The Bible makes this clear. John 6.44 No one can come to Me unless the Father draws him. It is only a work of God. So here lies the balance of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God calls out to man. Man rejects or accepts. If man rejects, well, that is his choice. If man accepts, it is because he has been chosen in him before the foundation of the world by God's grace. It's God's power in drawing him to believe. Left to ourselves, we hate God. We will never choose God. We will always find something more important than to come to the wedding feast. Many are called, but few are chosen. So thanks for the theology lesson there, Daniel, but I still don't understand. Well, there are two gates, two roads. The whole of this story comes down to this. There is only one of two directions that you can go. There's no middle ground. There's no standing on the fence and leaning one way or the other. You are on the broad way to destruction for your life until you make the decision to go on the narrow road. One or the other. You must choose what way you will go. Matthew seven thirteen to 14 Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way that leads to destruction, for the gate is wide, and the way that is easy leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Throughout Jesus' teachings, they're all consistent. Two roads, two trees, two types of fruit, two foundations, two destinations. The road to life is narrow and few find it. Think of all those who were invited to the wedding feast and didn't come. Those who made light of it. Those who were busy. Those who had more important things to do. Those who said they would but didn't. False professions. Hypocrites. Those who profaned His name. Those who didn't have on the proper garment. Many are called but few are chosen. What road will you choose? The road to life or the road to destruction? Let me end with this. May we all search our hearts here and make sure that we do indeed have on the righteousness of Christ, the proper garment. And if you do, rejoice. 
For who are we that God would reach down and call us unto Himself and save us? You are blessed beyond measure. Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a wonderful thing indeed. Now, to those who have not come to Jesus, who continue to make excuses, you have heard of the goodness of the King. You have heard of His mercy and His compassion. How He calls and He calls and He calls. He pleads with you. He bids you to come, giving you chance after chance. He pleads with you. You here today is a testimony to this. He has given you breath in your lungs to be here to hear the Gospel. He has given you time right now. How long will you put Him aside? How long will you make excuses not to come? We are all sinners and because of our sin, we are separated from God. We are on the broad road that leads to hell. But God has made a way. He has washed us clean. He's made a way to be right with Him. Your sin, your debt, washed away through Jesus. So trust in Him. Call out to God to save you today. I bid you to come. It's a glorious gospel. It's a great feast. The host is good. He is a glorious king. He is a blessed savior. It's all good. And you will be made good as well if your soul accepts the invitation of the gospel which is given to you today. Would you come and not put it off any longer?